0: Good afternoon, guys. Let's have another go. I don't know what just happened there, but welcome to another calm COVID convo. This time we're going to be discussing the update on the JobKeeper payments. Now, legislation was passed last night, so we have some additional information. There's still a few gaps in there, which we'll talk about that um, but we will um, give you an update on the gaps we have been able to close so that we can start to make some decisions within your businesses and so we can start to do things to get you ready for these job keeper payments. Of course, my name is John Knight. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the Managing Director and Founder at Business Depot. I'm a Chartered Accountant. Um, these days, I'm getting a lot deeper with businesses around their strategy and so forth, but enjoying being back in some tax legislation um, and looking at some of these things with these job keeper payments and stimulus packages and so forth. Of course, welcome, Rebecca.
1: Hey, John, and hi, everybody. I'm Rebecca. I'm the head of um, Business Depot in Sydney and the head of technology at Business Depot as well. And yeah, like John said, never thought I'd enjoy getting back into tax legislation, but it's consumed our, our lives for the last couple of weeks.
0: Of course, but the theme of our calm COVID convos is to take some of the stress, take some of the hype, take some of the drama out of these discussions around all of this COVID craziness. At the end of the day, we've got businesses to run and we've got people to look after within those businesses, which I know we all care about. So we want to make sure we can get, as, get everything that you're entitled to so that you can continue and come out the other side of this Economic hurdle that we're that we're facing at the moment. We've already received stacks of questions in advance, but please use the Q and A function um, within the webinar as well. Um, preferably the Q and A than the chat because it's much easier for us to monitor through there. So Rebecca, we've we've had a bit of clarity overnight. Now that we've got the um, now that we've got some legislation that's passed. Interestingly though. Um, a lot of the detail around this is wrapped up in what they 're calling the rules um, for the jobkeeper payments, and I know they were actually released um, yesterday, but only for a very short amount of time, so they were released and then they were removed. Um, luckily enough, some of us have a, have a copy of those um, and so I suppose there's a little bit of proviso of the of the discussion today that we're looking at these rules that were released. And have been removed so there could be some subtle sort of changes or little changes within that but at the end of the day the core legislation has been passed. So Rebecca a number of things we were able to get some clarity on. One of the big items that people were worried about was about the self-employed people and particularly the self-employed people through trusts, partnerships and companies who didn't pay themselves a wage but paid themselves by way of drawings, distributions, or, or dividends. Have we been able to get some clarity on that for our, for our audience?
1: Yeah, we, we actually have gotten some clarity. And in the, the original releases around JobKeeper, what we were told were that self-employed people, like only sole traders, were going to be eligible for a payment of $1,500. that, mm-hmm. dropped in line with um, businesses that are eligible that's now been extended out of got priority that has been extended. So if you are receiving a payment as a business owner and it's not a wage payment, so if you're a director receiving dividends or taking out, say, a management fee or something, or just um, other payments out of your business, if you are a a, a beneficiary of a trust and you only receive cost distributions, or if you're a partner in a partnership, you are not eligible for the $1,500 payments so long as you meet the other criteria. However, you cannot claim it for every person. You can only claim one per entity.
0: Okay. So I think we've got, we've got a couple of people struggling to hear you there, Rebecca. Sorry. I think you, um, your kids are on the internet or something or other, um, using up all the bandwidth. Um, but to just summarise a yeah, little bit of what... To summarise a little bit of what Rebecca shared there, um, so very clearly it was able to be applied for self-employed individuals, so sole traders. It's now um, we've got clarity that it will be eligible for those that are self-employed through a trust, a partnership or a company um, and don't actually pay themselves a wage. There is a limit, though, of one person. So the comparison or the example I give there is if you've got a classic business, a mum and dad business, where mum and dad are both actively engaged, and that's a terminology that's coming up now, are both actively engaged and working in that business, then only one of those parties will be eligible to get the job JobKeeper payment. Um I've already been asked the question, well, what if I pay myself a wage and what if I only take dividends out of the business? I don't have the answer to that question at the moment. What I do know is there's anti avoidance rules in this legislation that basically says if you do anything to increase your prospect of getting the JobKeeper payment um, or to increase the amount that you get, then that will be considered anti avoidance. Um, and, um, and, and obviously they won't be accepting that um, within, the whole, within the whole scheme of things um we might while
1: we're talking so while we're talking about that also just to mention that it's not clear with that at this point in time is whether or not if you claim that payment if you actually have to take that out as a wage to yourself moving forward or how that's going to be dealt with as a director or a beneficiary of a trust
0: yeah um your internet is really bad um rebecca so i struggled to sort of hear you then so i don't know what if you want to log off and log back on, maybe. Um, I might try
1: that.
0: Just to repeat what Rebecca said there for those that are are listening, Um, what we still don't know is whether um, they will insist on that payment being paid to the individual, for example, as a wage, Um, because one of the things that are really clear now is that um, the payment, to be eligible to get the payment from the government, we have to have paid the amount to the employee so given they've now made it clear that self-employed people through trusts and so forth are also eligible for the $1,500 to the extent of one person, um, we haven't got absolute clarity yet as to whether that $1,500 has to be paid out of the trust, out of the company, out of the partnership um, as a wage um, to that individual as well. Uh, We might jump on to the second big unknown that we've had within this JobKeeper payment area and that is around the decline in turnover test. So anyone who's been keeping track of this would know that there is a a test that requires, we've now got two of you Rebecca, aren't we lucky? That's fine.
1: Well hopefully one of them will actually work now. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um so the 30% decline test or they've they've called it the decline in turnover test we have been able to get some clarity on that now as well and so a couple of bits of information around this firstly the way they're measuring it is they're using the definition within the GST act which is for projected GST turnover so this is where they're bringing into account the idea that you will be eligible if, you meet, if, if, you, if your income is projected to reduce by 30%. Um, Rebecca, I don't know the last time you looked up the definition of projected GST turnover or anything like that, um, but you got any comments on, on that sort of definition and sort of why they might be doing it that way?
1: Well, Because the payments will be made for that particular month, although it's in arrears to cover the wages, it's in advance of your trading for that month, which is why it needs to be projected and why you need to do an estimate. And it's also why at the end of that month, within seven days, you have to report on your actuals. So when you're doing your projection, you have to have a really good grasp of or good indication of what you actually think is going to happen this month, which is, which is probably going to be a whole new world for a lot of people particularly as things are a little bit uncertain at the moment. But um, don't uh, overestimate, I suppose, the downturn, if it is, because there is that that catch-all that if your income doesn't actually drop below 30% to the comparable period or close to 30%, there is a risk that you might have to pay back any payments you receive.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, And so, and yeah, that definition, um, that projected GST turnover definition typically is about, you look at your current month and you look at the next 11 months. They've amended that definition within this legislation to be for the period that we're doing a comparison for. Um, But basically it allows you to be looking forward. Now that's gonna be very relevant to a lot of those real estate agents that are out there at the moment as well. So real estate agents have been really concerned that I've been talking to because they've still got income coming in. They've still got settlements that are happening because of contracts that were previously written. So they still will have income in April, but if their projected income is now less than 30% going forward, we can rely on these rules to get you eligibility to the JobKeeper payments. Um, and um, I'm pretty confident um, with that now in, in how, the, how the legislation appears to have been, appears to have been structured. The other thing with the 30% test is we have got clarity that it is a comparison that can be done on a month versus the same month last year or on a quarter versus the same quarter last year. So the first month that it can be applied to is the month ending 31st of March, but it's also eligible for April through to September. We also can apply the 30% test as a comparison to the same period last year, for the two quarters ending 30 June or 30 September. Um, and so that's, that's, that's the first test. Um, but Rebecca, I understand there's talk that ATO will also come up with some other tests.
1: Yeah, we don't know what they are yet, unfortunately, and particularly that might be part of the reason why the rules have come down because those rules are going to be expanded to give us a little bit more guidance on exactly what we're going to do. Um,
0: they're clearly allowing the ATO to set their own tests, though, aren't they? So the ATO we're expecting what
1: to this, although administer.
0: The ATO we're expecting to give us some okay. tests, um, and then there's also going to be discretion. Now, the discretion is going to be necessary to take into account those different um, situations that people are in. So, importantly, I think we've seen a real theme within the fact sheets and the information that's released on this, that there's an intention to give people this payment if they're entitled to it. And it's not about this hardline sort of rule of you're entitled or you're not entitled to it. So, they've clearly sort of said things like, if you've had a business and you've sold it to a different entity, they'll look through that situation for determining um, some of the requirements and so forth. So the first thing that's solved with the 30% test is it is a projected turnover um, using the GST turnover definition um, to, to determine whether that's, whether that's appropriate or not. If you don't meet that hardline test, obviously we'll be able to look at the ATO tests as they release those and we will also be able to apply for discretion um, as well. And we've actually got a question that's popped up on the, on the chat that's probably a good time to answer it. And that was from Chris around what if it's a new business and you don't have trading last year? Well, firstly, to be eligible, you have to be trading as at the 1st of March. Um, so as long as you meet that, you can still be eligible. Um, and it's, we're then going to have to rely on either ATO discretion or the other ATO tests to check whether you have dropped by 30% um, or not. Rebecca, you got um, any other questions there that are popping up with regards to this one, or should we should we power on through the through the key things and then come back to the questions?
1: Uh, we've just got a question here about whether or not your business, if it doesn't meet the thirty percent reduction in March or the first quarter, but then you're expecting it to downturn in April, when you will be eligible at that point?
0: Yeah. So you're eligible from the first period where your projected turnover is less than 30%. So if you don't meet it from an actual perspective at the end of April, you'll then, by the looks of things, should be able to meet it in May and in June. Yeah,
1: and we've got another question here, I think we should address around, uh, it's a sole trader question about whether or not you'll get the payments if you are eligible if you're not registered for GST. Now, if it's going to be monitored through the ATO and through the BAS Lodgement System as well, um, that that's an interesting question. Did you come across anything to do with that, John?
0: No, I haven't come across that, that situation. So we might, um, if there's a name on that one, it might be useful to just make a note of that one, Rebecca, and we'll, we'll reach out and see if we can look into that. Um, because one of the interesting things about this legislation is thinking about how the ATO is going to administer it. Now, clearly they're relying on single-touch payroll and your BASs to... to, to to do most of the administration around this. So for them to be able to see your turnover, they're gonna look at your BAS that you lodged in March and again in June, and they're gonna compare it to the same period last year. Um, Rebecca, I believe they're gonna introduce some other reporting requirements though as well, in particular around the monthly sort of turnover.
1: In regards to when you've got to report your actual, or the payments in advance?
0: Um, well, both actually, but yeah, you know, the, the the monthly turnover. I think we now have an increase in the reporting requirements that we have to give.
1: That's right. So to stay eligible and continue to receive your payments, or to receive your payments at all in the first place, you're going. It won't be a lodgement only through the BAS. You're actually going to have to independently report your turnover and how it has decreased from the a comparative period, whether it's this time of last year or whatever you're doing if you're in your business um, and the appropriate process there. So it's going to be an extra layer of reporting that we have to do every month.
0: Yeah, we don't quite know how we're going to be required to do that yet. We expect the ATO will come out with some way to do that because typically you only have to report your turnover on your BAS item, what is it, G1, is it, Rebecca? That's right. Item G1 is where you put your turnover every quarter now, unless you do a monthly BAS, which most of you won't, because only big is, big businesses have to do a monthly GST remittance, um, then we're going to have to have another reporting metric that we have to um that we have to use and, and we have to follow.
1: That's um, right. Um, sorry, just quickly, guys. I can see lots of you popping questions in the chat. It's really hard for us to keep track of those. Could you please try to move them back over to the Q and A? Sorry, it, it is much harder for us to follow them there. Um, we've got a question about um, annual membership income received, say, once a year and lumpy income, which was also covered in the Treasury notes. Um, do you want to cover that, John?
0: So what, is that like an annual fee that you receive from somebody? Yeah, um, so,
1: so they've addressed how to treat lumpy income and it's going to be sort of these one-off, out-of-the-box scenario processes that you'll have, that we'll have to address when we're doing the reporting, and maybe find different comparative periods for you. So long as there's a justification for it, um, it might, it might mean your process isn't as smooth as everybody else, and there might be a slight delay on receiving the payments. But we can still look at doing it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're you're right, and yeah, I hadn't actually come across that one yet, Rebecca. After diving in overnight with the with the information that's available, so I'm glad you're on top of that one. I know one of the things people were pushing for was to extend the payments to a wider net of casual employees. That did not get through. So the, the, the legislation requires casuals to only be eligible if they've been working with that employer for up to 12 months as at the 1st of March 2020. Now, I know we had a, a question um, in advance um, today around, um, around this, so let me pull that one up, um, I know Shane had a question um, and he's quite right, the, um, the information on this and the legislation requires that casual to have been engaged on a regular and systematic basis for 12 months up to the 1st of March. Now, um, the, 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 the legislation doesn't include a definition of regular and systematic, which would mean we can only default to the case law, um, any other definitions within other acts as a reference point, or we get to the, 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 um, the, the normal dictionary sort of definition of regular and systematic. Um, it might be something that the ATO gives some guidance on, um, but it's not something that is clearly defined. Um, I would expect that it means regular, what is regular? Um, is that weekly, is that monthly? We don't know. Um, systematic, obviously in a very structured sort of way that they are someone you can access would be what I would expect for that. Anything you'd add to that one, Rebecca?
1: No, that, that, that's my understanding as well.
0: Yeah, so um, other, until we get more clarification from the ATO as to how they're going to interpret that. One of the other key things that were clarified um, in this as well, because I know a lot of people have been worried about having to pay these amounts out to your employees in advance of getting the amount back from the government. Now I noticed on the rules that went live yesterday but then were removed, it actually talked about a payment only being made within 14 days of of month end or the relevant period. Um, Earlier fact sheets and everything have talked about the first payment being made in the first week of May. Now that's gonna be a bit tricky because I think we only have to report I think within seven days of month end, your turnover as well. So it looks like that payment date might've been pushed out another week, but what they have done is they had made it clear that the $1,500 amounts have to have already been paid for you to be eligible for the job keeper payment back into your bank account um, at that point in time. Um, and I think that probably clarifies for some of those real estate agents on, on, on the webinar where you were worried about debit credit arrangements and com-only arrangements and so forth. I think that sort of answers that question that if you've got a com-only agent, you have to pay that $1,500 to them um, as, a, as a commitment to them. I don't think we're going to get legislation to clarify whether you can then use it as a contra against commissions, um, but I would expect that you can't because it needs to be clearly, definitively paid to that, to that person. What else did we learn from the, the stuff yesterday? Um, Rebecca, any other key observations?
1: We've had a couple of people actually ask us questions about employees who have visas. So uh, that status hasn't changed from the earlier... Um, information from Treasury. So yes, if you have a permanent visa or a special category visa, which generally refers to um, New Zealand citizens, you can be eligible for the payments. But if it's a non-permanent visa, you are still not eligible.
0: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, another they've, they've or-
1: taken a very hard line on that.
0: Yeah, they have have now. I mean, obviously, they've got to draw the line somewhere, don't they? Um, One of the other things that were clarified with regards to the 30% test is that the 30% test will apply to each entity within a group. It is not applied on a consolidated group basis. So you need to look at the consolidated group to determine which percentage decline is required. Now, given I think there's probably no one on this webinar with turnover greater than $1 billion, pretty sure we're all going to be in the 30% category but you then need to work out the 30% drop in each of your different entities. So if you've got two divisions split in two different entities, then you've got to apply it in each. Um, it doesn't matter whether it, it applies it across the board, each one has to um, have declined by 30% for that entity to in particular be eligible. And of course they introduced a new percentage for charities basically, so ACNC registered charities, only have to experience a 15% drop to get eligibility um, for the JobKeeper payments. Okay, Rebecca, you got some questions for us to try and solve for our audience?
1: I do. How about, we've got one here around um, employment agreements that were signed by a new person in February that hadn't started yet and whether or not they would be eligible or on grounds for special exemption. Everything that I've read is very clear that they must have been working for you in an actively engaged and in March so even if they signed an employment agreement in February if they hadn't started by the 1st of March I'm going to say no they're probably not eligible
0: Yeah it's an interesting one isn't it it's probably a bit of a legal sort of question as to whether they're an employee I'm just I'm just I'm on the side here I'm just having a look at the requirements and the specific wording is that on the 1st of March um, yeah, on the first month, the entity carried on. I might have to look into that one and as come if back.
1: They're employed the as at the first of March and who are retained in employment.
0: Yeah. So maybe that's a legal question as to whether yeah. someone's considered employed just because they're contracted or not.
1: Yeah, and it will depend on whether or not your contract specified a start date that wasn't in February, maybe after March, after that 1st of March date. But um, absolutely check with legal.
0: Okay. Um, there's a good question on here from Bernie um, talking about independent contractors. So now that these self-employed rules have been clarified, the independent contractors in their own right, if they experience the 30% drop and if they meet all the other requirements, will be eligible for themselves, for one person, to get the $1,500 payment. But Bernie's question in particular is around managing independent contractors through an agency. So they're employed through us and the client. Do contractors receive the JobKeeper payment? They would have to only get it in their own right, because I don't think you're actually physically paying them a wage. So to be to be eligible through the um, employer I suppose you have to physically be get, making a payment to them through the wages system. if you're paying them a contractor amount they are carrying on their own business with their own ABN and they are they would be required to seek the jobkeeper payment in their own right in their own entity.
1: yeah we have got another question here um, I think we've touched on a little bit but maybe go over it again um, which is about a business that's scaled up and this time last year they had four employees now they have 10 so comparatively then the income's probably higher this time uh, at the moment compared to this time last year and how are they demonstrated 30% drop now there there is some this does get addressed a little bit in the treasury notes around in the same section with the lumpy income or great changes to the business. And there will be an alternative way for you to be able to compare that. However, the, the, what it says is the commissioner will have to pass his discretion on whether or not you'll be eligible. We don't have the clear process for that as of yet.
0: Yeah, so that'll rely on discretion or rely on the tests that the ATO releases over the next little while for that one. We can't rely on the hard fast test um, that's within the legislation at the moment. Um, There's a good example on here where somebody um, previously paid someone $10,000 a month. They've had to reduce their days and the amount they're paid to $7,000. The business is going to be able to meet the 30% drop in income and they're asking whether they are expected to top up their wage back to the $10,000 or as my business revenue begins to decline further, can I assign this um, subsidy against him as wages, but keep him on the $7,000. So there's a little bit of a fair work sort of um, question within here as well. And um, it's probably a good point to just note that the fair work commission is making a heaps of changes at the moment to the different awards and so forth. I understand there's going to be a different type of, pandemic leave or something or other, which is which is introduced. Um, we had a webinar with Justine Ansell about some of these topics um, a couple, last week, I think it was, um, which can talk about that, but you've got to keep an eye on it from a fair work perspective. But my understanding is you are able to reduce their hours and reduce their pay accordingly. And I do not believe there is an expectation that you have to top it back up to the original pay of $10,000. The requirement is that you've paid to them at least the $1,500 each fortnight.
1: We've got a question here about the visa holders and whether or not they can access their super. Um, They would need to meet their own own tests for the super release, which is the $10,000 payments. And although that's not JobKeeper, just to touch on them really quickly, that's if they were unemployed or on or after the 1st of january they were made redundant had their hours work reduced by 20 percent, or as a sole trader their income has reduced or the whole business has been suspended but there's more information on that um on our blog that will be monitored by their super funds and they'll know by contacting their super fund directly whether or not they can actually access those payments
0: yep got a question on here from katrina hello katrina um, if you have part-time workers, example, doing 10 hours per week who will now be receiving receiving a higher wage per fortnight, um, being the $1,500, um, they're willing and able to work additional hours to help us get through this period. Are there any HR or other concerns around this? Again, not really a job keeper question, but a HR question. My understanding is, and this is from Justine Ansell, who we lean on a lot for our employment law, um, is that you can't automatically just ask them to do more. Um, I I think in my head, I'm working on the basis that the hourly rate needs to keep roughly the same. If you're asking them to work, you you can ask them to work more to get to that $1,500 sort of amount um, is my understanding. But it's also probably just a fair work sort of consideration within there as well. We've answered that one. What else you got on there, Rebecca? Just
1: having a quick look through. Um
0: actually Margie's oh. got a good question on there. What about healthcare businesses which don't have GST on services? Can we use projected reduction in income through March into April? So when you have a look at the actual definition of projected GST turnover, um, it actually includes GST free sales. So the sales that are excluded from that definition are input taxed sales. So what's an input tax sale, uh, Rebecca? That's like financial services. Um, like banks and those types of things, whereas medical is GST-free, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. And that,
1: I mean, that technically should be, be reported on a bus as well, if you need to be reporting. What's that, label G2?
0: Yeah, I think that's G2. So, Margie, you should still be right, even, even if it's not a taxable sale, the, the GST turnover um, definition will include GST-free sales as well, which is your, 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 your uh, medical-type supplies.
1: Yeah, we've got a couple of questions here about the actual processing of these payments and wages. Now, um, that hasn't been released yet by the software providers, but they're all working towards actually having a solution for you. And when we have that, we will share it. Zero today released some um, information that they'll be ma- they'll be making the process of running payroll and acknowledging those JobKeeper payments in your system, and we'll share exactly the mechanics of that once we know.
0: Yeah. Daniel's got a question on here. When the JobKeeper payments start, what is the best way to adjust my staff's wages to reflect the amount we receive from JobKeeper? We're on the verge of letting staff go due to lack of funds, however, the JobKeeper will allow us to keep them on. So, I understand people don't have to actually be working for the JobKeeper payment, you just need to keep them employed. And so that ties into, I suppose, Rebecca's question um, that she just answered there about zero. How do we track that within the system? It's still paid out to them as wages um, in that we still have to deduct tax from it. And if they normally get more than that, you still have to pay superannuation um, on the amount. Um, So not quite sure how we'll practically do that yet um, and we'll be guided a fair bit by our software providers um, around that.
1: We've got a question here from Kate about whether or not employees need to exhaust their leave first. That's the, so, employees using their um, leave is not really got much to do with actually the eligibility of the JobKeeper payment. It's got actually nothing to do with it. So, whether or not they use their leave is not part of this. You just need to make sure that if you're going to claim for them, that you pay them the full 1500 that you'll be receiving.
0: Yes, that's correct. And I know a lot of people, and I think it was in some of the explanatory memorandum or some of the fact sheets I was reading last night as well, that you can be paying them the $1,500 and they can be supplementing that with leave in addition to that. Um, so they're two different things. But Donna's got a question around, is there an age limit on casuals? Example, a hotelier, employer, year 12 student on weekends. They have to be 16 um, is my understanding. Um that's Obviously. the only age limit. That's the only age limit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. they have to be 16 years of age um, as one of the age requirements to get the JobKeeper payment. Okay. Karen's got a question. Full-time, part-time employees must have been working for 12 months. It's actually only the casual employees that have to be, have been working for 12 months. Any full-time or part-time employees that are employed at the 1st of March Are eligible for it, assuming they meet all the other requirements. The 12-month rule is only for casual employees. Um, That's a good question to ask.
1: Um, What if a full-time employee has been terminated mid-March, can they be re-employed part-time earning only $750? Um, I'm going to assume that's $750 a week. Yet you can rehire your employees and you can have a new what we understand is it can be some new arrangements to the way that you employ people, um, whether or not they're engaged full-time or part-time. But what you need to do, as John mentioned before, is just make sure that it is aligning up with Fair Work and your awards. And there are changes that are rolling out at the moment. Best case, if you're unsure, to contact Fair Work or to um, contact uh, a HR lawyer.
0: Yep. What if the business doesn't have the income to pay the employees before the JobKeeper payments come through? That was one of the things which was identified. It absolutely does require a payment to have been made to the employees before you will get the amount back in from the government. So that's probably one of the biggest headaches we still have with this is that businesses somehow need to be able to fund this. And so they're going to want to have absolute certainty, aren't they, that they are able to get the JobKeeper payments before they're putting their hand in their pockets for these payments out there. What did ScoMo say the other day, Rebecca? He said, go talk to the bank or something or other?
1: That's right. He's under the impression that the banks are just handing out money within 24 hours.
0: Yeah, I, I, I saw another comment from someone else yesterday in one of the fact sheets as well saying, yeah the banks are going to be extremely cooperative with this. So hopefully we've got some bankers online that are going to yeah, handle some cash pretty I, quickly.
1: I would offer that word of assistance that if you are going to need it, get on the phone to your bank managers and contact your bank immediately. Find out what you need to do to get the funds in place if it's going to be needed and don't wait because they will be inundated.
0: Yeah. Can we pay $750 a week rather than 1500 a fortnight? Yes, you can. What it requires is the, the fortnight is a very important terminology within there, um, within the legislation. So it does rely on, the, on, on them having received an amount in a fortnight, um, but it also then attaches the JobKeeper payment to that same fortnight. Um, I have seen comments also that have gone to the extent of saying, what if I pay monthly? If we went the other way around, as long as it has the effect of them getting it fortnightly, um, it should be fine. And yes, the amount is gross, so tax does need to be taken out of the payment that you make to them of the $1,500. Warren's got a question Is turnover revenue per month based on cash flow in or invoices booked? It's a good question, Rebecca. What would you say on that one?
1: I would say considering it's talking about GST turnover everywhere, it's going to be in line with your GST registration whether you're registered for GST and reporting it on a cash or accruals basis.
0: Yeah, I, I think you'd be spot on there. I think if you started measuring it differently, that's going to cause an alarm bell um, and they're going to see it in the data that they lodge, that you lodge with your BASs and so forth. So I would, um, I would agree, just continue accounting for it on the same basis um, will be how they would be doing it. Alison's got a question. So if you pay the staff $1,500 per fortnight for JobKeeper payment, but then you are not eligible, what happens?
1: What happens is if you receive the payments and then turn out you're not eligible, you'll have to pay back the payments. However, there is no guidance right now on exactly how you would then potentially recover the payments from your staff. If they were working, then then they should have that money. That's owed to them. They, they should get paid for the work they did. However, if you're paying staff just to keep them employed and they're not doing any tasks, I'm not sure how that's going to be handled. And Again, I think it's going to be a HR or an industrial relations issue.
0: Yeah, I think, I think you're right, Rebecca. Um, we've got a question there. Is the 30% decline in revenue all depends on label G1? I think it's actually G1, G2 and G3, which are all revenue-related um, so those three items on your BAS are going to be really, really important. We've been putting that data on there for so long now without really having too much sort of use for it. Obviously they've found a use for it in this situation um, so that they can mine that data. Scott, if you have two entities and two directors are the same for both, can you claim one JobKeeper payment for one um, for each director in each of the different entities? Um, my gut reaction is you quite possibly could. Um, I don't know otherwise. Do Again, think, it's Rebecca? going to come
1: down to that, that statement when they talked about it, that the, the directors are actively engaged in the business. So long as both directors in some format are actually working actively in those businesses, then I can't see a problem with the eligibility.
0: Yeah, yeah, that'd be my thoughts as well. Michael, I have a question related to cash accrual. I think we've answered that one now. Um, as a sole trader will my eligibility be affected by my partner's income which is earned outside of my business not for job keeper payment no not at all so belinda um nice to have you on belinda um if your partner doesn't matter what your partner earns it will not affect your impact to the job keeper payment it would if you were going to get the job seeker payment through centrelink and so forth So in that case, are we required to pay $1,500 per employee without knowing whether we are eligible? Unfortunately, um, quite possibly, um, you're going to want to be pretty confident in your eligibility. And how they've sort of dealt with that is they've dealt with that around this projected um, GST turnover um, definition, which they're relying on. Um, So I would suggest that, unfortunately, you won't have absolute certainty while you're paying these amounts to them Um, And they have gone to the extent of, if you um, say you're gonna drop by 30% and you don't actually drop by 30%, they do have the ability to recover it from you. But we have seen in previous fact sheets and previous statements that they're not going to be too hard-lined on that. Um, But again, um, it's in a different situation when you're you're actually in there. Rebecca, you got any questions on there you wanna answer?
1: Um, we've got here a question from Warren around superannuation and do we pay super on the staff salary less the $1,500 as the, first, as the 1500 does not attract super? Now, that's a little bit the other way around, right, John?
0: Yeah, yeah. There's been a, bit, a lot of confusion about the superannuation because I think ScoMo, when he first announced the $1,500 payments, said something along the lines of there won't be superannuation on it. But what's been clarified is... The, su- the no superannuation thing is only relevant to those employees that are paid below $1,500 at the moment. So if someone at the moment is only paid $1,100, they're now getting paid $1,500 under the JobKeeper payment, it's only that top-up amount that doesn't need to have superannuation on it, is my understanding. That's right. Okay shelly has got a question. We had a few employees who were actively working on the 1st of March. We had to stand them down mid-March, but there's a high chance there will be enough work to bring them back next week. How does this impact the payment? If you bring them back, you'll be eligible for the payment. Um, so standing them down, um, you're able to rehire them. Now, I don't necessarily understand completely the logistics of that and the overlay between job seeker and JobKeeper and, and different things like that. But the intent of the legislation is as long as they were employed on the 1st of March and they're employed again now, you'll be eligible for the JobKeeper payment for those people. Um, What if you've stood down your employees and you don't have the work coming in for them to complete due to government restrictions? Do you have to pay them prior to JobKeeper coming in? Yes, you do. So if you're, for example, in the fitness industry and you've got people um, not actually working Um, and you've stood them down, um, then yes, you will still have to pay them that $1,500 for you to be eligible for the JobKeeper payment back. You agree, Rebecca?
1: That's right. Um, We've got another question here in regards to sort of that. Will I be eligible effectively?
0: Sorry, we missed you there for a second, Rebecca.
1: This, uh, we've got another question around trading entities but the same business and whether or not they'll still be eligible. Yes, you will still be eligible if your revenue has dropped 30%. However, it will be a, a different reporting requirement, which we're not quite exactly sure how we will justify that as of yet.
0: Yep. AJ's got a good question on there. Um, we purchased assets Um
1: Sorry, but I, also, I think you've just
0: cleared it. That We'd was actually assets. the question
1: that I was just addressing anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, so if you do purchase something, um, if you purchase a business, for example, in a different entity and then you're now trading a different entity, they'll look through that. They've said that they'll look through that, but we might have to see the, the ATO tests in that regard. Any idea how long it is until we know if we are eligible and how long we are expected to pay the $1,500? So the first payment I would expect around the 14th of May. They were originally saying the first week of May, but I would expect the 14th of May, um, given recent information that's been made available. Um, and we would, be, we would be needing to pay the JobKeeper, the $1,500 minimum to your employees um, prior to them. So if you've got um, up until the end of April, you'll then have 14 days to be paid the amount that relates to the fortnights in April.
1: There's another part of that question around submitting applications based on those discretionary considerations, which I'm gonna assume is for circumstances where you don't fit the model straight away. Um, and, then, and then if your application's denied. Now, unfortunately, it's just a, a, it's a bit of a roll of the dice but if you're quite confident that or, or you speak to us about your particular circumstances and if we're confident that we'll be able to get you those payments through the guidance that we're given, it might take a little bit longer to sort it out, but um, you, should, you won't receive any funds at all if you don't pay people. But yep. initially, I'd say just talk to us and we'll go yep. through whether or not we think you'll be eligible.
0: Yeah, Julia's got a good question. Do you have to qualify each month? or once you qualify, you get it for the future six months. Um, I believe it's a bit of a rolling sort of situation in that if you no longer qualify, I think you are no longer eligible for those for that month. So there's this monthly reporting requirement which seems to be, um, is going to be really important. You can assess whether you've dropped by 30% on either a monthly or quarterly basis, but that's on a projected versus actual last year basis, but then you have to report every month what your revenue is, so I think um, we're going to have to continue on a rolling basis to apply this 30% test. My business wasn't registered for GST until early June 2019, how do you think this will impact our eligibility? That won't be a problem, there will be other tests that will come from the ATO, it's just not in these um, particular tests that we do know of at the moment. Just confirming, do full-time employees have to have worked for the company for 12 months? No, only casuals have to have worked for the business for 12 months.
1: Um, I've got another question around turnover that's higher than this time last year, but you know that it will decrease. You'll be eligible once it decreases. And it might mean that you you won't get the payment straight away. But once you can actually show that there is that decrease and you're confident that it will, that's when you become eligible.
0: Okay. Question here about what if the employees have been on leave for the month? I believe that's not a problem whatsoever. If they've been on leave for a month, they're still employed. They're still engaged with your organisation. As long as they've received up to $1,500, my understanding is that that will still be fine. At the end of six months, if businesses haven't recovered to keep all employees on JobKeeper and you let them go, is there any catches coming out of this? Not that I'm aware of. So I understand as long as you've kept them employed, you're still entitled to the $1,500. It would only be if you then um, make them redundant or you, you then cease business at a particular point in time, you just wouldn't be entitled from that point forward anymore. You agree with that one, Rebecca?
1: I do. i do. Um just going through here. Um, that.
0: Do you have to forecast quarterly if our BAS is quarterly, or can we forecast monthly? Um, I I think you should be forecasting monthly during these times anyway, so I would suggest that the, it's, a, it's a monthly forecast. Why you might apply the test on a quarterly basis instead of a monthly basis, is you might have different seasonal adjustments in different months. So I know, you know some businesses, they don't typically have a great February, but they have a bang in March. And so to truly see how the business is, is um, travelling at a particular point in time, we need to look at that whole quarter rather than just looking at the month of March.
1: That's right. I've got a question here about annual leave. Um, so does annual leave still need to be accrued under JobKeeper or can it be without leave accruing? Now, if they're still employed by you and you're paying them as normal, then the normal leave accrual rules still apply and, and it's just business as usual in regards to those payments.
0: Yeah, I mean that's one of the key things with this, in that you keep employees on, and even if they're stood down with that um, HR terminology, you still they still will be accruing leave during that period, um, which includes um, um, leave period for redundancy calculations if you were to turn around and change your mind at the end as well.
1: That's right, um, and the and those um, payments that your employees will receive through through you, through JobKeeper, um, our ordinary times earnings, they will put them in their tax returns and it's just really a way for you to pay them their normal wage.
0: Yep. Dane's question, I think, is a common situation for many. What if we've scaled up over the last years and turnover isn't necessarily reflective of current operations? Um, That meant we will need to rely on some of the other tests from the ATO um, in that situation, Um, or, or at least um, request some, some discretion um, in that regard. I know with the real estate agents that are online, um, looking at things like your listings or contracts written and those types of things uh, will, be, will give us a good indicator of your projected turnover. And so we'll be able to lean on that. That information will become a lot more valuable in my mind.
1: Okay, I've got a question here. It's popped up a couple of times. The way annual memberships, including GST, for example, $11,000 are recognized on a monthly basis even though they are paid up front. Do we also need to recognize its respective GST on a monthly basis and spread over 12 months? Um, So if your total income is the 11,000 and you normally report it on an accrued or spread out basis and you would continue doing exactly what you normally do. So if you're on an accruals basis, it's accruals basis. If it's cash, it's cash. You need to make sure that your reporting right now is consistent to what you did last year. And if you need some clarity, I'd suggest maybe reaching out to us individually on that item.
0: A couple of quick ones here. Lyndall, just reaffirming again the self-employed rules. Husband and wife work actively in the business. Only one of you are eligible for the JobKeeper payment. Um, And David... If you continue to pay wages at 100% of what they're currently on, you then, as the employer, receive the $1,500, you get to keep that $1,500 as a contra at that point. It's as long as you have paid the minimum $1,500 to the, to the employee um, in that situation.
1: Um, here we've got Cheryl's asked if there are four employees and the owner also takes a salary, can we claim 1500 for five workers? So long as that owner is the fifth employee, then absolutely because they're on payroll, treated as employees and if you're eligible um, and all the employees pass eligibility, then you'll get the 1500 for all five workers.
0: And obviously that fifth person needs to be actively engaged in the business, just not taking a wage as, as such for it. Um, Leanne missed one of our answers to a question, but her question was where you have a full-time person who is on say $3,000, do you only have to pay them $1,500 or is the employer still required to pay $3,000? Yes, you still have to pay them the $3,000. The only way you can justify reducing them down to $1,500 is meeting the IR and fair work sort of requirements by reducing their hours and those types of things, assuming you can meet the fair work requirements to reduce them down. Depending on what's going on in the business. But Donna's got a question: If you've stood down for the past two weeks, but now are going to reinstate, do you have to back pay the job keeper? I don't think you do have to get back pay it, Rebecca. Do you agree with that? Um,
1: sorry. If you can stood you say someone that? down,
0: if you stood someone down and now you rehire them, I don't think you have to back pay them for that period. You just have to start mm-hmm. paying them again.
1: That's right. So if you haven't paid them, you will not receive the payments for that period of time, but you're not required to back pay them to then receive the money. You'll, just, you'll get what um, the $1,500 for the periods of time you physically paid. Okay. We've got a question here. And the, can you choose to top off some employees, employers? I think what you're trying to say is can you choose to top up some payments to employees? Yeah, you can pay them more than the $1,500 um, if, they're, if they're working the extra hours or that's the original arrangement with them. Um, you, you can continue to pay them above the 1500
0: Yep. Warren's asked for a bit of crystal ball gazing. Is the legislation specific about the next six months? Yes, it is. It actually defines the periods that you will be eligible for this. Um, and it talks about months ending after the 30th of March um, through to the thirty. 30- 30th of September and quarters starting the 1st of April or starting the 1st of September. So it is specifically locking it in to that six-month period. Uh, But but clearly legislating that you'll get it over that whole period as well as long as the income still dropped by 30%. percent
1: got a question here from Scott. Will JobKeeper become part of the calculations for payroll tax? Um, As it's just uh, the JobKeeper payment is an income payment to the business that will be a taxable payment to the business to help it pay wages, which is still part of your payroll tax calculation. And there isn't that they're, they're handled quite separately and you'll still be putting through all those wages to your employee as part of your gross wages reported on payroll tax is my understanding.
0: Yeah, that's my understanding as well. Starting to get through these now, I think. How do sole traders make the payment so that it is recorded? Well, a sole trader as an individual, um, it's already in your name, and that's one of the things we just don't know yet, whether self-employed people have to show a physical payment of the $1,500 to them. Um, Any other key ones in there, Rebecca, that we haven't got to?
1: Um, We've got a couple of people just asking, again, if you need to pay the minimum of $1,500 now and if you need to pay them 1500 if they get paid less than that usually? Yes. If you'd like to get the 1500 are you going to make a claim? You can only make the claim if you've already paid the 1500 to your employees or a minimum of 1500 And you absolutely must pay a minimum of 1500 You can't retain any of the funds for your business.
0: Yep. And just to reinforce an answer for Jennifer, who has one in the chat there about a business that's significantly scaled up. Um, it is going to be hard to do those last year comparisons, and again, we've just got to require we've got to wait and see what the ATO tests are going to be. Otherwise, we'll be um, we'll be needing to do a application for discretion, um, which I'm sure we'll get a, a, a standard way to do that um, over the next little while. Guys, um, I think we. Yep, you got any more, Rebecca?
1: Just one more question around the annual leave. Again, the annual leave's got nothing to do with JobKeeper as a whole. If you're st- Team are on annual leave and you're paying them annual leave. You can, you can claim the.
0: Leave. So I think what Rebecca's trying to say there, before her internet cut out, was that yes, you can still get the fifteen hundred dollars if you're just paying them um, on annual leave. Yes. Um. So <laughs> hopefully that's been helpful, guys. Um. So the, big, the new things we know is we've got more clarity around the 30% test, but there's still a lot of tests to be released from the ATO as to how they're going to do that. Um, the projected GST turnover gives us more of an insight as to how we can do this on a projected or likely sort of estimate of income basis. Um, we've got more clarity now for the self-employed. Um, we know it's only the casuals that have been on for 12 months beforehand. Um, but one of the big things is there's actually a lot of a, a fair bit of reporting that's required in here. There's employers requiring to notify employers, employers required to notify ATO of income, of who's eligible, and all those types of things. So your BASs and your single-touch payroll are going to become really, really important. Um, any other key things we need to highlight? or What, what are those key things we still don't know, Rebecca?
1: Uh, when my internet connection will become more stable would be I know a list of things we don't know. Probably well, the big thing is those thing. alternative
0: tests for the ATO, isn't it? That, that's, that's still right. the big thing. Um, how we report some of these things to the ATO is going to be really interesting. How we undo some terminations, I'm still a little bit sort of thinking about because, you know, from a practical perspective, we've probably paid out leave and different things like that. So I don't quite know how we go about that.
1: Um, and we're not really sure how this is going to play in with fair work obligations and things like that as of yet until they consolidate and bring out their rules and tell us about changes to the awards.
0: But we absolutely cannot ignore them in all of this. It's still an important consideration for any changes that we're making with our team. We don't know whether the, if you're self-employed and you get it, how you or if you have to pay that to yourself a certain way. Um, but one of the bigger things that's on my mind is actually how we're going to fund these payments because they're pretty clear now that these payments have to be made in cash um, beforehand. There was some discussions around just accruing it. It's pretty clear it's got to be paid beforehand. So I'm concerned for those businesses that don't have the funds to be able to pay this on the in the meantime or have some uncertainty around um, their 30% test. So there's gonna be a fair bit of sort of accounting principles sort of applied to this projections um, sort of calculation, I dare say. Um, And I would suggest that you do need to speak to your accountants, um, whether whether you're a Business Depot client or not, reach out to to one of our team um, to see if we can help you with that. We'll be more than happy to. Of course, we're going to keep our main blog updated on the website. The shortened URL for that is bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash BD COVID updates. Otherwise, um, subscribe to our newsletter and you'll get the updates as they get finalized and we'll be emailing them out to you as well. If there's any more information that comes from the ATL, we'll put it straight on that blog. Keep an eye out for our next calm COVID convo. We're going to tackle the whole commercial premises discussion. So we're going to have a conversation with Rob Shepley from Business Depot legal team. And we're gonna talk about this code, was it code of ethics or code of conduct or something or other as to how the, the, the landlords and tenants have to behave.
1: Yeah, I think it's a big item that is going to be impacting a lot of people who rent their business premises and now some of them are vacant or generally just can't afford it. And how do those negotiations and the rules that have been applied to them now?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you think about the two big costs most businesses have, rent, and and people, Um, they're the two big items. So obviously we've tackled a bit more of the people today. So let's tackle the rent and the commercial sort of rent side of things um, next week. Um, If you're not already subscribed to the newsletter, jump on the website and subscribe to that. That will get you any of the invites to those um, webinars as well. But thank you very, very much for coming on. I hope, I just hope we've given you some clarity. I know we still don't have categoric answers for some things, but I just hope we've given you some clarity that you can take away. And of course, this recording will be on our website under the blog section as well. Thank you again, Rebecca, even if you're a little bit robot there for a while.
1: (laughs) Thanks, John. Take care, everybody.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye.